Diet and Spirituality. This is number one of two. I'd like to bring you two texts in this presentation, texts that you are aware of and have read many times, but perhaps God will give us some new thoughts. I'm reading first from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now to this I would like to add one other. 1 Corinthians 3.17 If any man defile the temple of God, <clears throat> him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Recently, I had a number of physical experiences in which I thought I was going to die. Believe me, it was most serious. Then after many tests and time spent with a cardiologist, it was finally discovered that the medication that I had been taking as prescribed by the doctor for at least some six years, that it had been slowly building up in my body to the place where had I continued to take it, I would not be presenting this subject today. My life would have been over. But I am grateful to God for his guidance in helping me to find the answer to my problem. But this situation had a spiritual side effect, for I discovered that when something interferes with your healthy way of life, your spiritual experience with your God will also suffer. This is why John the Beloved, under the inspiration of God, wrote these words in 3 John, the second verse. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the food we put into our bodies has a definite relation to our spiritual experience. As Bible students, we all are aware that Adam and Eve fell into sin over the question of appetite. In the book Ministry of Healing 129 are these words. With our first parents, intemperate desire resulted in the loss of Eden. And then comes these challenging thoughts. 
temperance in all things has more to do with our restoration to Eden than men realize. Now, with such challenging thoughts to think about, we are also told in volume 3, page 491, our only hope of regaining Eden is through the firm denial of appetite and passion. So you can see that from the beginning of time on this earth, God has been interested in man's healthful living. You recall he prescribed a diet for Adam and Eve that would ensure that they had good health. Let me read it. Genesis 1.29 And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Did you notice that the great physician prescribed a diet of grains, fruits, nuts, and then, later of course, vegetables? Now as you read your Bible, you will find that God, through Moses, also gave instructions on diet. And as you read further, you come to the book of Judges 13, verse 14, and you will find that the mother of Samson received dietary instructions. Reading on further, you come to Daniel and his companions. They also understood health reform. Then in the book of Luke, the first chapter, verse 15, we read of John the Baptist's parents who were given a temperance message. And then coming down to our time in the remnant church, God has given through his servant nutritional reforms. Why? To prepare his people for translation to that heavenly kingdom at the second coming of Christ. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Commenting on these words of Paul, we read in a book called Council on Diet and Food, page 56, even the natural act of eating or drinking should be done not to gratify perverted appetites, but under a sense of responsibility. Do all to the glory of God. Every part of a man is to be guarded. We are to beware, lest that which is taken into the stomach shall banish from the mind high and holy thoughts. And then she wrote, May I not do as I please with myself? Ask some, as if we were seeking to deprive them of great good, when we present before them the necessity of eating intelligently 
and performing all their habits to the laws God has established? And so the truth is, we may not do as we please. Now, since we are aware of the fact that our bodies are the temple of God, so that the Holy Spirit can live within us to spiritually guide us in the divine pathway, should we despise the sacrifice of our wonderful Savior by asking the Holy Spirit to live in an unclean temple? God forbid. In the book Councils on Diet, in page 57, the Spirit of God cannot come to our help <clears throat> and assist us in perfecting Christian characters while we are indulging our appetite to the injury of health. You know, I must confess, as a minister of the gospel, that I have been tempted not to speak on this subject because I am aware that there will be some who will not appreciate the message that I am about to give. But to such a one, I beg you, give me a hearing, will you? If you would shun light on healthful living, you may prevent the Holy Spirit from doing a work in you which could seal you for the day of redemption. And friend, without the sealing, you will be lost. As much as you may dislike hearing what I am about to say, the truth is, any willful or knowing intemperance in eating is sin. <laughs> now, Brother Nelson, I can hear someone say, how can you make such a statement? Well, listen to this from the same book, page 43. The human being who is careless and reckless of the habits and practices that concern his physical life and health sins against God. Could anything be more clear? You know, really... I like a God that speaks plainly so I know where I stand. And so I plead with you to ponder well these words in volume 2 of the Testimonies, page 70. It is a duty to know how to preserve the body in the very best conditions of health. And it is a sacred duty to live up to the light which God has graciously given. If we close our eyes to the light for fear that we shall see our wrongs, which we are unwilling to forsake, our sins are not lessened, but increased. You know, this reminds me of a personal experience that I encountered while giving a Bible study with my wife many years ago in the city of Madera, California. We were explaining a great Bible truth from the Scripture 
when suddenly this woman realized that this truth was the very opposite to what she believed and practiced. Suddenly, she stopped me with the words, Mr. Nelson, please don't read that text. I want to believe what I have always thought was right. And if you read this scripture, I'll have to change my thinking. Now, I trust that no one listening to these words of mine and from the word of God will exemplify such a character in your life. I continue reading from the same passage. If light is turned from, in one case, it will be disregarded in another. It is just as much sin. Notice, it is just as much sin to violate the laws of our being as to break one of the Ten Commandments. For we cannot do either without breaking God's law. We cannot love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength while we are loving our appetites, our tastes, a great deal better than we love the Lord. So honestly now, shouldn't we really ask ourselves, and I'm reading this again from that book, Diet on Food, page 19, quote, Is my diet such as will bring me in a position where I can accomplish the greatest amount of good? If we cannot answer this question in the affirmative, we stand condemned before God, for he will hold us all responsible for the light which has shone upon our path. The time of ignorance God winked at, but as fast as our light shines upon us, he requires us to change our health-destroying habits and place ourselves in a right relation to physical laws. If we deliberately disregard the light about healthful living, what saith the scriptures? You remember? James 4.17 Wherefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, I'm afraid that too many of us have overlooked the fact that true conversion to the message of present truth embraces conversion to the principles of health reform. Now I took that from the notebook leaflet, volume 1, page 19, number 19, page 4. Why have I failed in teaching such an important truth? In volume 6, page 370, when men and women are truly converted, they will conscientiously regard the laws of life that God has established in their being. 
thus seeking to avoid physical, mental, and moral feebleness. We must answer to God for our habits and practices. Therefore, the question for us is not, what will the world say? But how shall I, claiming to be a Christian, treat the habitation God has given me? So you see, healthful living does have to do with God's remnant people. In volume 6, page 372 of the Testimonies, our habits of eating and drinking show whether we are of the world or among the number whom the Lord, by his mighty cleaver of truth, has separated from the world. You know, as I studied on how diet can affect our spirituality, I found that our sanctification process for eternal life can be hindered by the indulgence of appetite. There's no question concerning this. In volume 9, 156, we need to learn that indulged appetite is the greatest hindrance to mental improvement and soul sanctification. In fact, I was amazed to discover that our diet is of such importance as to affect our very salvation. I discovered that the servant of the Lord has used a phrase, it is impossible, many, many times regarding our health and salvation that I am compelled to read some of these quotes to you. In Counsels to Health, page 24, notice, it is impossible to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God <clears throat> when we continually fill them with corruption and disease by our sinful indulgence. Then I read again from the same book, page 23. It is impossible for a man to present his body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, while continuing to indulge habits that are depriving him of physical, mental, and moral vigor. In volume 3, page 51, again these words. It is impossible for those who make free use of flesh meats to have an unclouded brain and an active intellect. Volume 2, page 400. It is impossible for those who give the rein to appetite to attain to Christian perfection. Volume 3, page 570. It is impossible for the spirit and the power of truth to sanctify a man 
soul, body, and spirit when he is controlled by appetite and passion. Volume 7, 137. Notice these words. They're just used over and over. It is impossible to work for the salvation of men and women without presenting to them the need of breaking away from sinful gratifications which destroy the health, debase the soul, and prevent divine truth from impressing the mind. Reading on in Councils to Diet, on Diet and Food, page 55, God cannot let his Holy Spirit rest upon those who, while they know how they should eat for health, persist in a course that will enfeeble the mind and body. Page 59. But those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian characters. Those are tremendous statements. Let me summarize this. In this thought-provoking statement found in Councils on Diet, page 47, you need clear, energetic minds in order to appreciate the exalted character of truth, to value the atonement, and to place the right estimate upon eternal things. Now you see the devil would have some of us to feel discouraged after reading these things. But let us remember, every command of God is a promise. You know, I like that. Jesus would have us come up to a higher standard of perfection. Listen to the promise of victory to those who would surrender all to him. On page 65. There is no encouragement given to any of the sons or daughters of Adam that they may become victorious overcomers in the Christian warfare unless they decide to practice temperance in all things. If they will do this, they will not fight as one that beateth the air. If Christians will keep the body in subjection, and bring all their appetites and passions under the control of enlightened conscience, feeling it is a duty that they owe to God and to their neighbors to obey the laws which govern health and life, they will have the blessings of physical and mental vigor. They will have moral power to engage in warfare against Satan and in the name of him who conquered appetite in their behalf. They may be more than conquerors on their own account. This warfare is open to all who will engage in it. But let us not think that we can accomplish such victory in our own strength, for it is only by the grace of God and his mercy that we are saved and prepared for that kingdom to come. Back to the book, Council on Diet, 
page 49, are these words. After man has done all in his power to ensure health by the denying of appetite and gross passion, that he may possess a healthy mind and a sanctified imagination, that he may re render to God an offering in righteousness, then he is saved alone by a miracle of God's mercy, as was the ark upon the stormy billows. And so, brothers and sisters, we have God's mighty power to help us in this problem. And he never fails. Never have I presented our health message as you are hearing it in this message. I have never preached like this before. But I promised the Lord some months ago to present end-time messages that will prepare a people for translation. And healthful living is a must for sanctification. You see, God created man to live forever. But when man sinned, God in his love could not permit the sinner to live in sin with its pain and sorrow. So, he withheld the tree of life. But, we still may eat of the next best thing, as you read in Genesis 3.18, of the herbs of the field to supplant our diet. And the vegetables, when he gave them, they did not shorten life. For many of the patriarchs lived to be a thousand years before the flood. In the book Ministry of Healing 294, 296, grains, fruits, nuts, and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by our Creator. These foods, prepared in a simple and natural manner as possible, <clears throat> are the most healthful and nourishing. They impart strength, a power of endurance, and a vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. The Antediluvians were a mighty race, but in their sinfulness they ate flesh foods, which was contrary to the will of God. Of this we read in Councils of Diet, page 373, God gave man no permission to eat animal food until after the flood. Everything had been destroyed upon which God, upon which man could subsist, and therefore the Lord, in their necessity, necessity gave Noah permission to eat of the clean animals which he had taken with him into the ark. But animal food was not the most healthful article of food for man. The people who lived before the flood ate animal food and gratified their lusts until their cup of iniquity was full. 
and God cleansed the earth of its moral pollution by a flood. After the flood, the people ate largely of animal food. God saw that the ways of man were corrupt and that he was disposed to exalt himself proudly against his creator and to follow the inclinations of his own heart. And he permitted that long-lived race to eat animal food to shorten their sinful lives. Soon after the flood, the race began to rapidly decrease in size and in length of years. Now it's very evident from these words that the eating of flesh was the prominent act of indulgence that led the antediluvians to forget God and to sink so deeply into sin that God had to destroy them. Looking at the record in Genesis, one is mightily impressed by the tremendous shortening of their lifespan of those living after the flood compared with those who lived before the flood. Of the first ten generations on earth was an average of 900 years and the next ten generations averaged only 317 years. Now that's quite a difference, isn't it? And you know, there are scientists of our day who have dared to state that flesh-eating is a life-shortener. You'll find this in a book called Fisher's Emerson Book, How to Live, the 20th edition, page 67. We can also learn much from the Hebrews. 850 years after the flood, God led his people out of Egypt to establish them as a nation in the land of Canaan. But these people rebelled mightily. How did they do that? Largely over appetite, and especially over the matter of flesh foods. Councils to Diet, page 374. The Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt and undertook their training that they might be a people for his own possession. Through them he desired to bless and teach the world. He provided them with food best adopted to their purpose. Not flesh, but manna, the bread of heaven. It was only because of their discontent and their murmurings for the flesh pots of Egypt that animal food was granted them, and this only for a short time. Its use brought disease and death to thousands. Yet the restrictions to a non-flesh diet was never heartily accepted. It continued to be the cause of discontent and murmuring, open or secret. In page 377 I read, By departing from the plan divinely appointed for their diet, the Israelites suffered great loss. 
They desired a flesh diet, and they reaped its results. They did not reach God's ideal of character or fulfill his purpose. The Lord gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. They valued the earthly above the spiritual, and the sacred preeminence, which was his purpose for them, they did not attain. When God let the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was his purpose to establish them in the land of Cana, a pure, happy, healthy people. And then these words. Had they been willing to deny appetite in obedience to his restrictions, feebleness and disease would have been unknown among them. Think of it. Their descendants would have possessed physical and mental strength. They would have had clear perception of truth and duty, keen discrimination, and sound judgment. But they were unwilling to submit to God's restrictions and lusted after the flesh pots of Egypt. So God let them have flesh, but it proved a curse to them. You know, there's also a lesson for us to be learned from Daniel and his companions as they faced the temptation to eat flesh meat and to drink wine. In the Eastern Instructor of August 18, 1898, the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. Three years was this diet to last before their examination should take place, and then they were to be brought in before the king. Daniel and his three companions did not take the position that because their food and drink was of the king's appointment, it was their duty to partake of it. What did they do? They prayed over the matter and studied the scriptures. Their education had been of such character that they felt that even in their captivity, God was their dependence. And after careful reasoning from cause to effect, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now Daniel and his follower, fellows were brought to the test. They placed themselves fully on the side of righteousness and truth. They did not move capriciously, but intelligently. They decided that a flesh meat had not composed their diet in the past, and it should not come into their diet in the future. And as wine has been prohibited to all who should engage in the service of God, they determined that they would not partake of it. The fate of the sons of Adam had been of Aaron had been presented before them, and they knew that the use of wine would confuse their senses, that the indulgence of appetite would becloud their power of discernment. These particulars were placed on record 
in the history of the children of Israel as a warning to every youth to avoid all customs and practices and indulgences that would in any way dishonor God. But back to those Hebrews in the wilderness. In the book Christian Temperance and Bible Hygiene, page 189, God tested the Hebrews on appetite, as he did man in Eden, and murmuring and rebellion resulted. Had they proved faithful to God, he would have taken them through the wilderness in the brief period, and notice this, of eleven days, and would have triumphantly planted them in the land of promise, the mighty host of Israel, whom he had borne on eagles' wings from Egypt. But they did not sustain the trial of their faith, and in consequence of yielding to the clamor of appetite, they fell all along the way in the wilderness, so that only two of them, two of the adults, who left Egypt, were permitted to reach Cana. I repeat it. The history of the human appetite is a sad one. Can you imagine? God intended to take them to Cana in 11 days. You know, could it be that the reason we are not in heaven today is because of the condition of our appetites? In 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Maybe, just maybe, could our wilderness wanderings be the result of our indulgence in appetite? Over a hundred years ago, God saw fit to send light on health and nutrition to the remnant church. Should not greater reform therefore be seen among us? Back to that book, Councils on Diet. If we near the close of time, and I'm reading from page 451, we must rise higher and still higher upon the question of health reform and Christian temperance, presenting it in a positive and a decided manner. On page 457, the reason for and the purpose of health reform are clearly stated that its purpose is to secure the highest development of body, mind, and soul. In the same book, page 82, again I have been shown that God is bringing his people back to his original desire, design, that is, not to subsist upon the flesh of dead animals. And then she concludes by saying, no meat 
will be used by his people. That's quite a statement. Then comes this solemn pronouncement, page 380. Those that are preparing for translation will cease to use flesh. Among those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord, meat-eating will eventually be done away. Flesh will cease to form a part of their diet. But how sad to read on page 382. Many, notice, many who are now only half converted on the question of meat-eating will go from God's people to walk no more with them. What a solemn pronouncement. But not only meat-eating is to be discarded. On page 411 of the book Council on Diet, I read, In a short time, the milk of the cows will be also excluded from the diet of God's commandment-keeping people. In a short time, it will not be safe to use anything that comes from the animal creation. Page 349. Let the diet reform be progressive. Let people be taught how to prepare food without the use of milk or butter. Tell them that the time will soon come when there will be no safety in using eggs, milk, or butter. Why? Because disease in animals, notice this now, because the disease in animals is increasing in proportion to the increase in wickedness among men. The time is near when because of the iniquity of the fallen race, the whole animal creation will groan under the disease that caused our earth, that by precept and example make it plain that the food which God gave Adam in his sinless state is the best for man's use as he seeks to regain that sinless state. I am painfully aware that some who have heard this message will reject it and they will say, Nelson, you have become a fanatic. God forbid. Rather, let me remind you that in these last days God has given his people the manna from heaven by means of our health message. The light that God has given and will continue to give on the food question is to be, his, is to, be to his people today what the manna was to the children of Israel. Councils on Diet, page 269. You know, it was Moses, the prophet of God, who led Israel toward Cana. And it was he who said, Exodus 16, 15, This is the bread 
which the Lord hath given you to eat. In Hosea 12.13, By a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. And just the same today, the remnant church of modern Israel has a prophet, Ellen G. White, who has given a health message to guide us on the path to heavenly Canaan. Our duty is to learn of the health message and to follow it and help others to accept it in love. I close with reading counsels on diet, page 451. As we near the close of time, we must rise higher and still higher upon the question of health reform and Christian temperance, presenting it in a more positive and a decided message. This I have attempted to do today for you by God's grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have been talking and reading of thy counsel. And we just pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to follow it and to obey it. We do want to see Jesus come. We do want to have minds that are capable to comprehend the end time and how to relate ourselves to thee that we may be sealed for thy coming. And so, Lord, may these thoughts impress every heart that has heard them that it is the truth for the end time is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.